Fun fact, the first American reality series happened 48 years ago. Yes, the first reality TV series that's similar to what we see today with like the Kardashians or the Braxtons actually came on to the TV screens in 1973 to be exact. It was a show called An American Family. It was a 12-part series that aired on PBS from January to March of 1973. In this series, the camera followed the Louds. That was the name of the family. I really like that last name. A family from Santa Barbara, California for seven months, revealing the breakup of the parents' marriages, a divorce, and an openly gay lifestyle of the son Lance. And this was a first of a TV series and really unheard of in the 70s. So shout out to the Louds. They were here before the Kardashians, thank you for volunteering your family to create the first reality TV series that followed a family around. That's crazy. Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook, the weekly podcast that helps us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to season three episode three on the history of reality TV, where we're going to go and untrace reality TV when it started, how it started. And we're also going to talk about the different subgenres of reality TV, because there's different types of reality TV that I didn't even know. So tune in. Now, I know that reality TV probably wasn't in your textbooks, which is exactly why we're talking about it today. Because why wouldn't we talk about one of the most popular TV genres and what is known as one of the most significant new kind of television programming developments to this day? Why wouldn't we talk about that? That's crazy. Similar to online dating, the way like online dating first hit the scene, it was just kind of like hush-hush and considered weird to meet people online. Then now it's just common and kind of like the only way you meet people. I feel like reality TV has taken a similar journey. It's gone from a guilty pleasure and being labeled as trash TV And even the stars of these reality TV shows were considered trash at one point, right? To now, reality TV is just a part of our everyday conversation on and offline. The people on these shows are considered stars and celebrities and influencers. I mean, people make whole podcasts and YouTube channels and whole careers, really, reviewing and discussing reality shows. And nowadays, it seems like everybody and their mama watches reality TV from The Real Housewives to Married at First Sight to Top Chef to 90 Day Fiance to the makeover shows, they're all considered reality TV, baby. Now, not that you really care, but I'm going to take a moment to just share some of my favorite reality TVs shows. And that includes Married at First Sight, Put a Ring on It, Ready to Love, Love After Lockup, Love Me Some Love After Lockup, Top Chef, Love It or Listed. Those are a couple of your girls' faves right now, just to name a few. What was that, like six or seven? I don't know. But of course, in today's episode, we won't be talking about the shows in particular that I love or that you love, because I know if you're listening, y'all watch some of these shows too. 
But we're going to look at the history of how we got this really popular genre. And it feels like, you know, there's more reality TV shows than actual shows. And I don't really know if that's true, but it just feels like that. It's probably not true. But why wouldn't we talk about this popular genre, right? That's what we're going to do today. And believe it or not, even though the term reality TV is used to talk about shows like currently and maybe like some from the early 2000s and the 90s, like The Real World, The Hills, Project Runway, all of that. And the actual history of reality TV goes much further back than you might think. So in today's episode, we are going to, of course, define reality TV because you know we love a definition. <laughs> then, of course, we're also going to trace the history of reality TV all the way back to the first reality TV show that was created 73 years ago. Yep, it's much older than the real world. And then we're going to also learn about the different genres of reality TV. It's not all Real Housewives and the Kardashians. There are levels and different types of reality TV, okay? And then we're also going to kind of theorize and take some guesses into what the future looks like for reality TV. What will it look like five to ten years from now? Who knows? We'll have fun with that. And in today's episode, we actually have a guest, which makes me even more excited. Her name is Wahama. And on all social media platforms. She's known as Just Call Me Wah. And she is a YouTube content creator who produces comedic. Yes, she is funny as fuck and provides timely videos on social pop culture events happening. And she does really funny personal interactions. So she recaps reality TV with a comedic spin while having some compassion and acceptance of the subjects, aka she don't be going in on people because everyone on reality TV, celebrity, regular person is a person, right? We don't need to be mean or anything like that. So she will be joining us today to school us on a few things. As always, the show will begin with me giving you a brief overview of today's topic on the reality TV. We're going to do definitions, facts, receipts, all of that for the first 10 to 15 minutes. And then we'll jump into the interview with today's guest, Wahama, who will school us on the present status and the future of reality TV because history is not only what happened in the past, it's what's happening this very moment. Okay, so let's jump into this history segment. First, let's start with the definition. Reality TV, what is it? It is a genre of television programming that documents unscripted real life situations although sometimes we know they're scripted <laughs> often starring ordinary unknown regular regular people rather than professional actors the traditional structure of reality television show tends to have a confessional you know those little short interview segments in which the cast members throw each other shade and reflect and give their two cents on events depicted on the screen then there's also this competition-based reality shows that usually typically feature, you know, participants that get eliminated. There's a panel, there's judges, and there's viewers, and they vote. So that's another type of reality TV. But that's just like the general definition. Oftentimes, when we think of reality shows, we think about a show structured like The Real World or the show structured like the one I told you in the fun facts, The American Family with the Louds, with a camera following folks around. Think Real World, Kardashians, Love After Lockup, Housewives. 
But at the very beginning of reality TV, it wasn't always this kind of structure, this fly on the wall structure. In fact, reality TV started out portraying the lives of real people through dating shows and contests and pranks, giving reality TV a much broader, wider, deeper history than most of us think when considering modern reality TV and what's popular today. So let's go through a timeline of reality shows from the beginning to present day. Let's start with the 40s. One of the oldest reality TV shows came out in the 40s. Yeah. And it was a show called America's Candid Camera, which premiered on ABC in 1948, 78 years ago. The show involved like a hidden camera filming ordinary people being confronted with unusual situations, sometimes involving like a trick prop, such as like there would be a desk and when you close one drawer, another drawer would open or a car with an extra gas tank. So when the joke was revealed, victims were (laughs) victims, (laughs) people were told the show's catchphrase, smile, you're on candid camera. This show, which highlighted funny pranks and humorous situations being pulled on unknown regular regular people, was an instant hit with audiences and remained on air for years, like from the 40s to the 90s. So for 50 years, it was on. And I actually remember this show. So when I did this research and they were like, it started in the 40s, I was like, what? But yes, and so this show, like Candid Camera, that came out in the 40s, this prank-style reality program, inspired modern-day shows like America's Funniest Home Videos, Jackass, Punked. This humor, right, at the hands of someone else, of an unknown bystander, is a proven reality style that has been successful and continues to be successful. So from the 40s, we move into the 50s. And in the 50s, we start to see the contest style reality TV shows. This show proves to be another crowd favorite. Shows like the Miss American Pageant, which first aired in the 1950s, has continued and continues to be a large theme in reality TV show, right? So the Miss American Pageant, Family Feud, Star Search, Amateur Hour. These are just a few of these talent-based contest style reality television programs that were just early freaking favorites. And these shows from the 50s were modeled in today's favorite reality programs like Survivor, The Amazing Rays, Project Runway, Top Chef, right? Just to name a few. So contest-based reality TV has worked and we love them. And that's why they keep making them. (laughs) And the premise of these shows is offering a prize to regular, regular competitors. One of the most popular shows contest style is like American Idol or Dancing with the Stars. So those are all credited to these early competition shows like Miss America Pageant that came out in the 50s. While the 50s introduced these contest-style reality shows, the 70s really set the foundation and the stage for the reality TV that we see today with like the Kardashians and stuff, all of that. And I call this style the fly-on-the-wall reality TV, where they like follow a group of people, right, over a series of episodes. And in the 70s, we start to see this fly-on-the-wall format really develop. And it's cameras following people, giving viewers a peek into people's everyday lives. And in the 70s, 
right? That's where we, the American Family series came out. We get the first kind of reality series, fly on the wall reality series come out where they're actually following a group of people, a family. And so that was the fun fact that I told you earlier. So in the 70s, that's when the American Family show came out following the louds from the fun fact, remember? And it came out on PBS and it just followed this family, a traditional in quotes, white American family that was going through stress of a divorce and a son coming out and all of these things. So that was really unheard of. And that first came out in the 70s. And like, obviously, as we know, it inspired a lot of the stuff that we watch today, like the Kardashians, the housewives. That's where the root of those popular shows today come from. It comes from the 70s, from the American family show that was on P. BS. Well, the 70s really planted a lot of reality TV genres that we see today. So we just saw, talked about the whole fly on the wall family following one. Another one that came out in the 70s, this disco era was the relationship style reality TV program, like the dating game and the newlyweds. And, you know, these came out on our TVs, or should I say our grandparents' TVs. And these relationship style reality programs were a hit and had high ass ratings that just showed how interested, or should I say how nosy audience found the lives, the love lives and the dating struggles of ordinary ass people. So while the 70s gave us this dating style reality TV program and the fly in the wall family following reality TV program. The 80s, the 80s was another era that gave us the behind the scenes documentary style reality TV. We started to see shows in the 80s that like the cops and America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries. Those three shows, cops, America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries really started popping on our TV screens in the 80s and early 90s. Shows like Unsolved Mysteries did these really bad reenactments of crimes and used actors to dramatize stories about true crimes for suspects that were still out and about and at large, as they would say. And they would announce rewards at the end for finding suspects. Let me just tell y'all, Unsolved Mysteries had me shook as a kid. It always came on at some creepy, ungodly hour. Don't ask me while I was up. I know I was only like seven, eight or nine or 10. <laughs> Sorry, mom. And I would just think everybody was a criminal, but then I would also be like, oh, wow, what if I won the prize or finding the criminal? It was it was too much. It was too much for me to be watching. I'm sorry to my babysitter that I did that. And then we also, in the 80s and the 90s, right? We're talking about that time period. We also had cops that came out. And this was like the behind the scenes documentary style that showed a camera crew riding along with police as they patrolled neighborhoods looking for criminals. And now that I'm older and I'm processing this, I'm sure there was like a lot of racial profiling in this show and like really fucked up shit going on. You know, it's giving me uh, early Black Lives Matter, driving while black, like, you know, cops. Oh, wow. Okay. So these shows like Cops and Unsolved Mysteries were the founding fathers of these behind the scenes following professional reality TV genres that's super popular and huge today. So shows that kind of evolved are similar to this behind the scenes, right? Thing is like Dr. Pimple Popper, which is so gross. Um, Dr. 90210, Miami Inc. And there's many more where the cameras follow professionals in their industry while they complete their work. That is a very popular 
style. It's called the documentary reality TV. So cops and unsolved mysteries kind of got us that. And it's really popular because people are fascinated and continue to be fascinated with how, why, and what goes on behind the scenes of different jobs, industries, all of that, right? Tattooing, surgery, they want to see all that. I, I don't. I personally don't like this genre. <laughs> so from the 80s and the 90s, you know, early 80s and 90s, we get those kind of the cops, the unsolved mysteries, all of that. And we also get in the 90s, in the root of the 90s, I know a lot of my listeners might appreciate this. This is when we get MTV's real world, right? That really mimicked the style of the American Family Show that came out in the 70s. And so MTV's real world started and sparked a large degree of our current fascination with watching the lives of everyday people interacting with one another. And it fueled our interest in the concept of reality TV. Now, I used to love MTV World. I actually wanted to go on the show and I believe my cousin auditioned and make it like to the second round, you know, whatever. <laughs> but just to give you a refresher of what MTV Real World Show is, just in case you're too young to know or you're too old to know. <laughs> but just to give you a little refresher of how MTV is structured, it was like seven young adults who had never met before were selected from thousands of applicants to live together for several months in a large, dope ass, wonderfully decorated MTV supplied apartment or house, depending on, and you know, and it was always located in a major city. Cameras recorded these people both inside and outside their home. And the footage was then edited down, you know, into about 13 episodes. And it was in effect kind of a documentary about a totally contrived fake artificial situation of people just seven strangers living together, right? And showing that dynamic. And what I think was so groundbreaking about the real world was just not only the dynamics of the people living in the house, it was just also some of the situations or the different social commentary things that, that would come up like so there was like someone with HIV AIDS and so then they like were able to talk about that and educate people about that they were ta talking about racism they were talking about LGBTQ issues you know as people on the show identified as different things or had different experiences once it hit our TVs then we started to see other kind of voyeurism reality TV shows with everyday people in these contrived or extreme situations like Big Brother or Road Rules or Amazing Race. And, you know, MTV in general just had the reality TV shows in the bag, you know, in the beginning, you know, the Jersey, but like Laguna Beach, the Hills and all of that stuff. They, they really got into it. So from the 90s and the, the time of the, the MTVs, the cops, the unsolved mysteries, we jump into the 2000s. And this is where we see the dating and courtship shows come up. And that's like The Bachelor, Temptation Island, Flavor of Love, I Love You, New York, For the Love of Ray J, right? And we start seeing people reinterested in the love lives and we saw that in the in the 50s or the 60s I believe 
And then also in the 2000s, we have the makeover reality TV shows, which are the home redecorating shows, right? Like Extreme Makeover or I can't think of any else, but they're all like on like Home Network or HGTV. Another genre that came out of the 2000s was the self-improvement reality TV about making yourself over. And that's when we got the what not to wear and queer eye for the straight guy where they're helping regular people feel better about themselves by helping them change their wardrobe and their look and all of that. So that was another one. So that self-improvement reality show was another genre that came out of the 2000s. And although the original appeal of reality TV was for it to feature just regular people, celebrities, they couldn't resist. They couldn't resist. So even in the 2000s, also early 2000s, we start to see this celebrity reality shows. We see like the Osbournes or the Newlyweds with Nick and Jessica. I don't know if you guys remember that. Or the Simple Life with the Hilton girl and the Brax and then the Runs house and the love and hip hop. Although that's like a mix of A-list and B-list people, but you get what I'm saying. And we start seeing the Braxtons. Most of these shows were created with a sense of like, they want to show you behind the scenes, but they're also like, it's irony and they're kind of like making fun of people. And there's a little bit of acting too, of course, and staging in that. So we'll put reality in quotes. Right. And then, from there, from the celebrity genre, we also have we also see the competition for Dream Jobs reality show emerge in the early 2000s. And that is like, you know, The Apprentice with the orange guy or America's Next Top Model with Tyra or Project Runway, Hell's Kitchen, Top Chef. And these are competition for Dream Jobs reality TV shows. The premise of these shows are just people coming on the show to get a title or a cash reward or a mixture of both, right? Of being America's top model and getting a contract or being top chef and getting a contract and recognition. So in the 2000s, we see these type of shows develop for the dream. We call this the dream job reality genre. Clearly, I can't even say it. And so that is the conclusion of the history of how reality TV has developed from the 40s all the way to present day. Okay, so before we jump into the interview with Wap, I think it would be helpful to go over the different genres of reality TV that we highlighted in this timeline that we just did. So I think I calculate about seven genres, seven or eight maybe. So let's do it very quickly. We have one, the humor hidden camera genre. We have two, the TV talent competitions, right? Like America's Got Talent. Three, we have the game show contestants, like who wants to be a millionaire, Price is Right. Four, we have the relationship dating reality TV shows like Flavor of Love, I Love New York, For the Love of Ray J. Five is celebrity reality TV, the Braxtons, the Kardashians. Six is the self-improvement shows where people get makeovers, what not to wear, queer eye for the straight guy. Seven is the home makeover genre, the extreme makeovers, all the stuff on HGTV, like love it or list it. And yeah, I think that's seven, actually. I think I listed seven different genres. So those are the seven genres that I can think of. And yeah, it's really interesting. So let's jump into the interview with Wah. 
where she is going to talk to us about present day reality TV and the future of reality TV. Um, hi, Wal. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to he- have you here with us today. <laughs> hi, Toya. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I am such a fangirl. Like, I watch your YouTube lives. I watch your YouTube channel. Um, we'll get into that for all the listeners who don't know who you are. They need to subscribe. But um, could you tell people who you are and what you do? Yeah, no problem. Um, so, hey, guys, my name is Wahima, but just call me Wah. Uh, so I do reality TV um, reviews, basically. So I like to recap the two that I main do are Love After Lockup and 90 Day Fiance. I love to recap them in a funny way while also providing compassion to the people who are sharing their lives with us in these semi scripted non-scripted type shows um yeah and another thing that i am kind of documenting right now which i'm not super i haven't jumped in 100 is my single mother by choice journey i have chosen to just have a baby and i'm not going to go the route of like meeting up with some rando <laughs> trying to get pregnant every month like i'm actually looking for a donor i've gone through a fibroid surgery in order to get them to remove so that i could safely carry so we're at the very beginning stages of it there's still a lot to consider um but yeah mainly i want to just bring um i want to add a little brightness to people's lives i want to elevate their favorite show in a way that has them laughing harder than when they actually watch the show yes i love i love both of your channel concepts because i think everyone can relate to both you know i think reality tv is super popular and then i think motherhood and people wanting to be mothers is really popular and understood a lot of people resonate with that and like wanting to be a parent without yet having found a partner and like do you have to wait or do you have to meet up with randoms like you said so i think those are like two relatable contents what inspired you to start a YouTube channel related to reality TV. So initially my YouTube channel was called Dark Skin Divas and it was just about dark skin makeup tutorials because I couldn't find that many. Like at the time when I started on YouTube, Jackie Ina and Patricia Bright were dark skin. So I started that channel. A friend of mine was like, you need to start because she had been in the YouTube, like in 2013, she'd been really been watching YouTube for makeup tutorials. And then she's like, here's my camera figure it out. So I took a camera, I started the channel. And then as I was doing makeup, I started to realize that I wasn't good at it and I wasn't getting better. Like I could do myself. And then people around me started being like, oh, would you do my makeup? And then I'm like, okay, so I did it. And then I was like, I don't like what I just did on you. I don't know why it doesn't look good. So like, I started to realize that I wasn't necessarily a makeup guru, nor was I ever going to be one. I was never going to hit those levels. And, but one thing I really did enjoy doing was talking about reality shows. And so I just one day was watching, I believe it was the Darcy and Jesse season of 90 Day Fiance, <laughs> where like I watched the episode and it was so outrageous that I, I had to talk about it. And so I already had the channel and I was already doing a, a little series called Morning Tea where I would get up every morning and just talk about current events. Ooh. So I was like, let me just talk about this episode real quick. And then it just kind of snowballed. And then something happened, girl, it went on to Reddit and then it just blew up. And I was like, oh, this is, this is it. I started to feel like I don't want to edit makeup tutorials. I would like to edit, comedically edit and, and you know, try to write scripts and be funny 
for these reality TV shows. And then I realized there was a whole racket. It was a whole business and people was mm-hmm. on here love after, what is it? Love and hip hop. Yeah. I'm doing all of that, you know? And I was just like, I think one of the first people I saw who actually consistently reviewed was, I think her name is Roxy or Rox. And I was just like, I never watched her because I don't watch those shows, but I was like, 90 Day Fiance is a reality show I could get behind. <laughs> yes, that's, that's so great. I love how you pivoted, like, and you were able to, like, come to terms with, like, this is not my calling. You know, the concept was good, but then going into this, because I think, like, even for me, I didn't really realize there's so many people who just review TV, period, on YouTube. You know, people think about a lot about makeup and, like, visual things, like fashion, and those are, like, what people know YouTube for, but there's, like, a whole other genre of a lot of different genres, mm-hmm. but really, like, reality TV is, like, really big where people, like, do reviews or just even regular TV shows, and that's how I got into it because I was, like, my boyfriend was watching Power and then after Power, he would go on YouTube and there's like this guy, I think his name was like Mark Dark or something. And he would do like these reviews and like hypotheticals about like what's going to happen next. And I was like, what is this? And then I was like, okay. And then we were watching like 90 Day Fiance and something else and you popped up on my screen. And then I just subscribed and I've been watching all of them, like 90 Day, I've been watching Love After Lockup. You used to do Married at First Sight, which I wish you would do again. But, um, <laughs> you know, so then I was like, okay, it's really nice because, you know, we have, like, if you're watching it with your friends or your partner or something, like, you usually have some type of commentary or these reactions. But then you can go on YouTube and, like, have this whole community of people who are, like, having the same reactions and adding their own commentary. And, like, you build this community of people who watch this show and think it's hilarious. And you can bounce ideas off of each other. So I love the community that you're creating. And I like what you said earlier, that you, like, try to... Um, I'm going to butcher the, like, requoting you, but, like, how you also keep in mind that they're human beings, right? Like, you don't really, like, trash people or and anything like that. Like, your commentary is... It's funny, but it's also, like, you don't go too crazy in terms of, like, tearing people down or judging their decisions and stuff like that it's very like logical and not like shady in that way yeah I definitely try because I I try to be that way because of integrity um I don't want people to think that I'm this like mean person who's just out there to rip down these people in order to promote myself and I don't know part of me is like I wish I could because I think that my channel would be get more people and I'd be seen especially if I did all the deep diving and god bless the people who do do the deep diving but like I just am not that interested in their lives outside of the show and what is produced on the show and I realize that they're real people like after who was it that reached out to me you know who reached out to me first David's uh, one of the characters David his daughter and during his season I was kind of going in on him and all of a sudden I see like his daughter in the comment section like I'm David's daughter and that blew my mind because I was going in on him because of what was being produced and I had normally tried not to but that specific instance like whatever had happened I was like hating on this guy hardcore and I was just like I don't want that I don't want the daughter to ever I don't want anyone's daughter or anyone's like grandchild or anyone's whatever to or them themselves to come in and see me just tearing them down based on what could possibly be a made-up storyline 
Yeah. You know? that's so regardless of if it's real or not, there are people and it hurts. And I know that because I'm a person and people come to my channel to tear me down. And you would, you would think like, what would they have to tear you down about? Wa? Girl, yeah. everything. Exactly. Thing I said that I don't have a qualifier afterwards to explain exactly what I j- meant. You know, I get a lot of people who are like disappointed in me, disappointed <laughs> in my opinion. And I'm like, oh my God. So I can only imagine if I get that and I'm this little bitty YouTuber, mm-hmm. then someone who's on a national stage. So yeah. that is why I do that because I don't want to add to that craziness. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I think that's important for all of us to remember. And like, you know, we get to edit our stuff. These people don't get to edit. Their they're editing is in the hands of producers who are trying to get views. And so you don't really know what's the truth and what's not the truth. So I, I appreciate you doing that. So one of the signature questions of the um, podcast is always like, how do you define reality TV? Like, what is Waz's definition? So for me, reality TV is a fake, not scripted, live out into the world, like not on a set um, show. So usually there's a concept or an idea, and then they choose the cra- a crazy group of people to um, kind of showcase that concept or idea. And first seasons of any reality show are usually pretty chill because they don't quite know what they're doing yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Cast and production, even if production is tenured, they still want to like ease the cast into it. Um, And then you always have those breakout performances, right? And then the cast watches it back. And then (laughs) season two, people step it up. Yeah, they 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 set their makeup up, (laughs) everything. (laughs) Yes. So I actually love to see season one to season two. Mm. Um, and so a lot of times I critique the people on base. I'm like, have you not seen reality TV girl? What are you doing? Like, what are you doing right now? You have your dad out here looking crazy. I don't understand. No one told like, and I'm very much like that. Cause I'm like, <laughs> this is a production people. This is a production, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's, it's the staging of it, the scenery of it. Um, but I do think that it is a shadow of a script, you know, yes. like even vlogs these days, like people's home vlogs they even have a shadow of a script or like an idea of what they're presenting so I don't necessarily know if we have reality anymore um Mm -hmm. in the way that maybe we felt it was reality for the real world Mm -hmm. you know so I was very much early real world like Seattle was the first season I truly remember watching and yeah yeah I think you're onto something because it's like reality TV. I would put that in quotes, the reality part, because like it's scripted or at least they have some type of mood board or or something. You know what I mean? And I think you make a great point. So you just said you like you, you mentioned real world. And I think that probably was my first technical technical like reality TV show that I said that I would have watched growing up. Um, what was your first reality TV show you think that you watched? Um, it was it was like the real world um flavor of love era and I know those are kind of (laughs) eras yeah um, but I feel like real world was the first time that we saw people put in a circumstances and even then like I don't I don't think it was scripted at all I think that it was very much like out there but it was produced right there was uh they put them all in a house I'm not sure if they had cameras in every angle the way they do it big brother um but I think the next wave of that was the reality competition side of it and Mm -hmm. so we had shows like survivor and you had where it's not scripted 
it's not, you know, they, there are medical professionals ready to help them. Yes. <laughs> they're not isolated because um, there's camera crew all around them while they're all shabby and unbathed, like they're still a camera guy. <laughs> Yeah, it's not shabby and unbathed. Um, uh, so like, I think that there was like a definite evolution of it. And in the beginning, real world was all I would watch because I mm. felt like it was kind of real. And they were, I don't know if they were my age or not, but they were young adults. And I was they like, felt like us. Yeah, they did. And it was, they always tried to be, have a diverse cast which I really enjoyed, which was something we didn't really get to see on TV um, with scripted dramas or anything like that. And then when the reality TV competition part of it started to come in with Flavor of Love and even like The Bachelor, which I never really watched, but like even with that, it was kind of like, huh, I, I do I do like me a competition. <laughs> I do like this, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was mainly just like VH1 and MTV that was like holding my my world for, for a long time. And then um then I I was against it wholeheartedly for such a long time. And I was with my friend Chris, which you know I, I have her on my channel, Chris Farah, and she was obsessed with 90 Day Fiance. And so the first like season that I watched, and I didn't even watch the full season was with Amphisa and George, which I think is season three or four. Okay. And she had been watching it. And so she was the one who really, I think, got me into it. Wow. Yeah. I think like in my research, because, you know, like before I get on and attach your interview to the podcast, I do like research and tell people some things they should know about reality TV. And in my research, I just learned about so many subgenres of reality TV, which we touched on, like the competition shows and like the Voyager competition shows. So like the Survivor and the Big Brother, and then you have the relationship shows, Flavor of Love, um, I Love New York, like, you know, like all those shows, The Bachelor, which I, I too didn't watch, but they still have them. And then they also have, like, they talk about like the early reality show, which was like, they talk about kind of like these, can like Candid Camera, which is like, and that kind of began with those kind of like those shows of people submitting their own at home videos of like relying on the consumer to make these amateur videos to submit to show so that it was really interesting to like learn about the evolution which you touched on and like I feel like my reality tv history is similar to yours like I feel like it was real world and then it was like flavor of love and I I want to touch on something that you just said about how like you were against it because I feel like I was against it. I feel like society was against it. Um, you know, reality TV, when it first came on, it was just like, you watch reality TV. Like, you know, it was kind of like something that was like your guilty pleasure that you watched on the low. And I think the evolution of reality TV reminds me of online dating. Like when online dating came, like people would, would, didn't even want to say they met that person on online dating. And now it's just like, it's like normalized. So what do you think that shift was between like being against it for you to being for it and even society being kind of like against it even looking down on the people who participated in it and now they're like considered celebrities and like get the same amount of attention and the same kind of fan base so what do you think that shift was I think the shift was two shows housewives is what mm -hmm. like you I mean the difference between Housewife and let's say whatever MTV, what's that show with Snooki? Oh, uh, Jersey Shore. The difference is, is that now you have people with money mm. and everybody wants that voyeur, voyeur look into um, a housewife of Beverly Hills, a housewife mm. of Orange County. Now I wasn't into it because I like to meet some black people. 
However, <laughs> I feel like when a show doesn't have a diverse cast that they are saying they don't want me to watch it. Mm. Intrinsically, I feel that way. Even if it's like, oh, not necessarily true. I'm like, oh, this is not for me. Yeah, like you're not trying to target yeah. me at all. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch the OC. I didn't watch Laguna Hills, but I knew a lot of people who did. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I think that's when the shift went from it being a guilty pleasure to it being something of a money-making sort of market where everybody could make money from the recappers to the hairstylists to the makeup mm-hmm. artists. Like mm-hmm. I think it put a lot of people on just being a part of that specific world. Um, and the other show, I just had it, it was on the tip of my tongue. Um, let's just go with The Real Housewives because I can't think of what the other show I thought. But I, yeah. oh, Love and Hip Hop. So I couldn't watch Love and Hip Hop because it was geared towards me. But I, I cannot watch shows where Black people. Yeah, me either. Y'all can't be fighting. Y'all can't be doing this. <laughs> I can't watch them. I just, yeah. there's a certain part of the res, uh, respectability politics that I'm trying to root out of my soul mm-hmm. is still stuck and won't let me watch it. Yeah. So when those two things kind of hit the scenes and it was like, you're looking at, I mean, you did have shows like the Diddy shows before that, making the band and all that stuff. But I think Love and Hip Hop did it in a way and Bravo to, I can't remember the, the, uh, the woman who is the producer of all this, not Myra Brockle-Keel, but- I think it's something, uh, what's her name? Cardi says it in the song, Mona Scott. Mona Scott. (laughs) Another (laughs) from Mona Scott. Yeah, so it's it's bravo to Mona Scott and anybody who, you know, who she was working with to help create this, because I do think that it did create another level of celebrity and it put a lot of, especially like, you know, artists that we don't too much care about, it put them on. And I'm very happy for everyone who has been able to flourish due to their time on any kind of reality TV show, because one, they are just regular people who didn't necessarily sign up to be actors who put themselves out there and got crapped on, got a lot of things said about them. And I love the fact that someone can just take in and take that and turn it into a legacy for their family, especially for all those black people. Mm -hmm. So as much as I couldn't watch it, I was happy for them and the success that they had had as a consequence of being on the show Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm now to the point where it's like you know I know there's like a show where like not Little Mo but like Nivea and one of the Cheetah Girls and it's like someone else and I'm like Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna watch it but I'm rooting for you sis you know (laughs) (laughs) there's too many shows like that for me (laughs) yeah um and so yeah that that to me are like the is the is the change now there's still people who are like oh I hate reality tv but honestly I think that it's entertainment for a lot and if it has created it's created a lane for me personally to have a little a little bit of a creative outlet um to have a little bit of side income not too crazy but like a little bit of something and I'm grateful and thankful for that machine that has allowed that to happen because I know if there's a little person like me who is profiting off of it then there are tons of people in that industry who are profiting off of it and able to like have a good life because of it yeah, I I totally understand. I feel like you just saying that kind of like put a little light bulb off in here. I'm like, yeah, I think like the whole genre of celebrity reality TV really got people to be like, oh, let me see how people live who make money. You know what I mean? And like kind of like revealing that curtain that has separated normal people and putting that in quotes, y'all, um, from like the celebrity who who's out here and you get to kind of like see their lives scripted or non-scripted and I think people always are kind of interested in that and the reality tv allows people to like see that yes yeah and I think that's good because so many people so many kids 
are un, depending on their circumstances, are unable to envision what luxury and having money can look like. Mm-hmm. And even right or wrong, even if how they've gotten it or what they're doing with it, you don't agree with. The fact is, is that there is a little black boy or a little black girl that's like, I would like a nice house when I get older. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, I, now I know that there are people who look like me who could do this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is, there's good and bad that comes with that. But I think the good is just as worthy to be acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of those like pros and cons you think of reality TV that people see? Um, I think that the fact that it's called reality TV, but it isn't. Yeah. I think that a lot of times people don't realize how much the women and maybe some men invest when they know they're going to be on a show. So they invest in a whole new wardrobe with the Mm -hmm. hopes that they'll be able to make money afterwards. So like you hear this person who's like in, you know, an accountant or who, I don't know, like is an Instagram professional or whatever. And then they go on these reality shows and they're like, all I do is Instagram. But I'm like, you're not explaining like all the things that you need to do and just the luck factor also that comes in with you being an Instagram model or someone famous through Instagram, because, you know, you really got to have the clout and got to get the people to come to your channel or your page in order for you to get the money. And -hmm. even then some, you know, depending on your skin tone, some people are paid less as for their influence than others. So I just think sometimes this idea of reality is not as much reality as a viewer might watch. So I think that's a, a con of it. I think another con is the sometimes the people will do crazy things for it and and either that's have their kids involved or like and then it affects their family in ways that they never thought. Um, I always thought it was really smart, even though um, Rev Run and his show, even though it was so scripted. So that it was like, why are you even calling it reality? I love the fact that it was so scripted and they were unabashed about it. Yeah, And I, I love the fact that they presented their kids in a certain light. So they were like, okay, we're all going to make this money, but I'm not going to have y'all out here looking crazy. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> like, <laughs> when the cameras come in your room, your beds are going to be made. When we're having a family meeting, we're going to be in a kitchen on this pristine white marble counter. And this is what we're going to pretend like we talk like this all the time. So as, <laughs> much, as, <laughs> so as much as I was looking at it and I was just like, what? Is, this is not reality. I was like, OK, thank you for uh, attempting to be a positive and thank you for setting your kids up in a, in a way where they don't necessarily have to follow any kind of crazy um uh, behavior on the back end because like when I think of that I guess I think of um Ozzy Osbourne that show Mm. where we watched him and his kids like cuss and yell at each other and then when the kids kind of like were out in public they were like out yelling and being rambunctious and crazy and it was like the first time we'd ever seen like super rich people act like dumb trashy on tv yeah it felt like I can't remember the daughter's name but it felt like she felt like she needed to keep that up and she kept it up so long that, and then all of a sudden disappeared after the Kardashians came in and took it over. Yeah. So disappeared. And now when I see her, I'm like, okay, you came out okay for a while there. I was like, sis, concerned. there might be an OD in your future. Like, <laughs> so it, it, it's, it, I think that the, sometimes the image of what they're being put out as, especially if, as children can affect how they behave in, in public. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of the con of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that there's, but I like that you also highlighted the cons too, you know, especially for like, I think about the breakout people like Cardi B, you know, who like 
did the show, put her time in, and now she quit, and she has, like, a whole career out of it. Even, like, Snooki, you know what I mean? Like, people who really use their time on there, like, I don't know if it's intentional. I want to say it's intentional. And they, like, create this character, and they're, like, able to move away from it or, like, not depend on the TV to create, to generate income for themselves. So I really, like, admire the people who do that. Yeah, I, I, I have told this story on my channel many a times. Mm -hmm. I put out positive vibes for Cardi B. Yeah. I don't watch hip hop, but my sister does. And I was like walking by her bedroom door one day and I heard, and I was like, you bugging. Like I heard that. And I was like, oh, I, I lived in New York city for six years. And so I was like, huh, New Yorker. So I like <laughs> walked in, I walked in her room and I see this woman who I immediately identify as like Dominican, but I'm like, oh, she's Dominican, but she's like, has braids. <laughs> trying to like pretend like her, like, oh, I'm not black. I'm Spanish. Yeah, yeah. As somebody who moved from the West Coast to New York to see all these Black people look at me and tell me that they're not Black and that they're Spanish, I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what is that? What, what are you saying to me? <laughs> you know, because my family's from like Guatemala, Belize, and Honduras. So I'm like, I know Black people reside in Latino countries. Yeah. They still acknowledge that they're Black. But anyways, so <laughs> seeing Cardi B, I was like, oh, she's like maybe not yelling it from the rooftops, but she's got her braids in. She's representing in a way that I don't think anybody else was really representing. She was loud and doing the most, but I was like, mm, there's something about her. I was like, she's going to be famous. She's, mm -hmm. She has, she knows what is needed and she's yeah. getting people and it's a lot and it's crazy, <laughs> it but it, it's what she needed to do. And then how she took that and springboarded it off and then was still herself, but reeled it back a little bit, talked about the breast implants, talked about the butt implant, talked about her teeth, talked about the journey in a way that wasn't, I just got this. Like we know how hard Cardi works to be able to say a sentence and not stumble. We mm -hmm. know that. Mm -hmm. And like, that is the part I think that I truly admire from her. I know this became a like, I love Cardi B, but. No, it's fine. Cause it's perfect. Like she's the poster girl for reality TV. Like what you could do yeah. with reality TV as a regular person on a good show, how you can use that to catapult your, her true passion. Her true passion was always music, but she, mm -hmm. but she, she was like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity and do this. And I think a lot of people admire that about her. And a lot of people aspire, I think, to be on reality TV to do that. And she hustled so much. And we were there with her with the hustle. I love that she got on camera without any makeup on. I love that she's had so many like public, like, Oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, she's used her celebrity in a way. Now she's had a lot of stumbles along the way as far as like social stuff, but she's used her celebrity when like, when doing interviews with Bernie um, during the election, uh, talking about coronavirus and being relatively responsible when talking about coronavirus, like doing just things and like really trying to make sure that she's on brand, but also conscious of what her fans are and who they are and where they are yeah yeah so I like I think the Cardi B conversation is necessary because there's always these breakout stars and I feel like she is the breakout star that everyone kind of looks to to be like oh reality tv can be this thing that can be so much more than just like a season or two seasons you yeah. know so and the woman empowerment part of it too like yeah. as, much, as sexual as she is I think there is still a bit of like 
woman empowerment, a lot of woman empowerment, I should say, that I see from her. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I think that there's people who are like, you know, we all have our, our, our obsessions. You know, I think people are like a little low-key obsessed with some reality TV shows, right? And that's, that's fine. Everyone has their thing. Um, um, and especially now, like, even though we know that it's scripted, like people are still obsessed. Like, why do you think people are obsessed with watching it? And why do you think people are obsessed with also trying to be on the shows? Because I think that's the thing too. I think people talk about people who watch it, but there are people who like are trying, who are auditioning to be on multiple reality shows as well. So what do you think this obsession is on the viewership and on the people who want to be on it? Uh, I think the obsession with the viewership is that one, you can see people's lives who are crazier than you. And you can see, like the reason why I watch hoarders is because I'm like, okay, <laughs> dirty as I think I am, you know, it's, it's that comparison of like, okay, I'm not as bad as that. Okay. Whew, the house isn't on fire, you know? Um, and then I think the people who are obsessed about being on it, I think this is because they, they want that 15 minutes of fame. They realize what they can do with it. There are several YouTubers who always audition for different things. And sometimes they get them and sometimes they don't. But it's also about getting your name out there, right? So even if you're interviewing or auditioning for these different reality shows and you can say, hey, this is the audience I bring, it's about that networking and creating that understanding that you have an audience and that you want people who are producing shows to know you have an audience. You want people who are producing shows to see you and, and hopefully put you in something because it only takes one opportunity, one good show to go viral and like change your life. However, you have to be aware that what goes viral may not be what you think will go viral and you have to be willing to accept the consequences of it and still be able to pivot if you are able to if the yeah. consequence isn't exactly what you want. Another thing I think people don't realize is, is that I'm part of this 90 day fiance world, but I'm not the craziest person. I'm not even close to being the craziest that I've seen. There are Reddits, there are Instagrams, there are YouTubes. Um, there's so many different things where people are talking about 90 day fiance and some of these folks is crazy. <laughs> There's like a cult they, following. They will go all up in people's lives. And that's the things I don't agree with. Like anytime anyone's on a reality show, someone is like looking at, looking for mugshots. <laughs> like, I personally have never been arrested, but the amount of mugshots that people in reality TV produce, I'm like, there are a lot of people who've been arrested and have a mugshot out there. And I would hate for me to be on a show to and something happened in my twenties for that to all of a sudden just now be brought to light because some viewer who watched the show felt like they needed to expose my life or like yeah. bring up something that has nothing to do with it. So I just think the allure is that like hunt for fame, hunt for clout, um, desire to create a network of some sort. And yeah. then I, the, the fandom is just because you want to see somebody who either looks like you, who's doing worse than you, looks like you, who's doing better than you, or you just find that person to be entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I feel like there's such a cult following for different shows, which I, I admire, but yeah, it gets a little, it's a little weird when they start digging deep into the first marriage and the first, like, it's just like, let people just be on the show. <laughs> they do a background check. Yeah. <laughs> and 
like I'm, you know, people are like, oh, you should do 90 Day Fiance or you should do this because I like for br- very briefly dated somebody out of the country. And I was like, you know, I was really thinking about it. And I was like talking to my brother and my sister. And I was like, how are we going to do this? All right, this is what we're going to do because my dad is pretty entertaining, right? We would just have to get him real comfortable with the cameraman. Like we were literally thinking about how we can do this because my dad genuinely is an entertaining person. But like, would I want someone to like doxy his life? No. What yeah. I want them to go into my mom's life or go into my brother's life or go into my sister's life. And like, that is the thing that I'm most afraid of. Like, I don't want people digging around in our lives, bringing stuff to the forefront that don't necessarily need to be brought up because yeah. they're personal. Yeah, or that <laughs> you don't even know. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what? Like, what'd you say? Yeah. A lot of layers. Um, so I talked a little bit earlier about like the research about how like reality TV TV has evolved and you talked about it too from like these like dating shows the survivor like all of that um where do you see reality tv like five to ten years from now where do you think it's gonna go I think it's just gonna be full-on scripted oh (laughs) I think it's just gonna be full-on scripted I think they're gonna um I think there's always gonna be a lane for those who are real and raw and Mm -hmm. who cannot be told to retake something and do it again um, but I think that it's gonna, like, they have it for every genre now. Like they have the, you know, the Shaw's a sunset. They've got, you know, selling sunset. There, there are so many genres of reality TV. Yeah. Um, and to the point where I'm just like, like when I see people flipping houses on HGTV, I love it. But then like, when I'm thinking about redesigning my room, I'm like, this is going to take forever. And it's gonna take a lot of money. <laughs> it's just gonna get more extravagant and more crazy I think as far as like production wise um but I honestly besides that I have no no real idea I can see 90 day fiance kind of devolving into this thing where I don't know like they they're already kind of trying to make it rather exclusive so they've got a bunch of 90 day fiance fiance uh, spinoffs but you can't see them on TLC like regularly you have to purchase um discovery plus which is an online streaming service so i do think that it depends on how tv evolves so if tv evolves in a place where we're all just getting apps and there's all just streamlining like there could just be so much and so many and we could just saturate the the field like they tried to do i don't know if you heard of this that they were attempting to do um it had usher and it had two other uh somebody Chopra and like some yes. stars person it was an activist reality show and yeah. because it came out and so many people were like this is dumb they've now changed it I heard to like a documentary series like it's like where they're just documenting the, the action of them trying to get produ- uh, money for their uh charity but it's not a competition anymore yeah everyone was really upset about that because it was like they were trying to compete activists who are clearly like passionate about different topics. They were like trying to make a competition show about out of activism, making them compete for funds. But it's like, these are like serious issues. So how do you, like, how do you choose and why are you doing doing that? So I, I, like, it was, I don't know who was in the room. Like, I don't know whose concept that was. It was just like, no, I I understand the shift. The shift will be interesting. I don't even know if people are going to watch it because they were so appalled by it initially. But the shift is a good shift, I guess. Yeah, I thought it was a good shift. I'm definitely not interested in watching that. Like, I don't want to watch that kind of reality competition. Like, what reality competition I want to watch is, like, RuPaul's Drag Race Mm -hmm. or or Alone, which is, ugh. I think it's so brilliant. So alone is it's on the history channel. I think you can find it on that. I've, I found it on um, Amazon prime and it's basically like 
10 people who are like, I am a wilderness individual. Like I could survive in harsh wilderness conditions. I think I've seen the show actually. I thought that was so, like if you talk about the future of reality TV, I wish that that was more of the future of reality TV. Now it's hard because not only do they have to train the survivalists on, I mean, the survivalists already know how to survive. Mm-hmm. They have to like send them through a boot camp prior to, to explain to them what the weather conditions of like this, you know, Vancouver Islands are going to be during like the fall, which is like super crazy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that, but then they also have to teach them how to be producers and how to set up cameras and how to turn them on and keep their batteries charged and making sure that they have the GoPro on and they have the angles. Because when you watch the show, there are no camera people. They are their own camera people. Camera- yeah, it's so crazy, the weather. Yeah. And they have to set up their cameras in like different spaces and then like do actions, like chop down trees, <laughs> like mm-hmm. build shelters. And then they Hunt take animals. Yeah. <laughs> they take all that down and they put it away at night. So it's lugging around that luggage um, of uh, cameras. I mean, if you could see all the stuff I have around me now, I can't imagine lugging that in the wilderness where I'm having to survive for as long as I possibly can until like either I get so malnutrition, <laughs> so you out. they had to take me out or I, someone comes and tells me I won. So like, to me, that is a reality show. Yeah. Like, I actually watched that. I've actually watched that. It's really good. It's so good. You're just like, what's going to happen? And you only actually know what they show you, which is part of the downfall of it a little bit. It's like, maybe we would get so much more interesting stuff, but then on top of that, they have, because they're alone, they have to be pseudo interesting because you've had people on there who are not interesting. And they're just like, man, couldn't turn on the camera today. Didn't feel like lugging this all around. Didn't feel like entertaining y'all. So like, yeah. <laughs> but then you have the person who's like, hey, I created me a thing. And they're like super energetic. And I'm like, okay, I could watch a vlog from you. So it's like that kind of balance that you need to, to have in order to get, I guess, the real reality of the, this specific scenario. But it's such a good show. It is. I do like that show. Would you say that's like, what's your favorite reality show that you're doing? Um, I'm going to say alone is up there and possibly, okay. um, I'm really enjoying 90 day fiance, uh, the Caribbean. So they have Wait, a Caribbean. What? Okay. <laughs> Listen to tell you about the secrets of 90 day fiance. I told you have all these spinoffs. So they have a spinoff called, um, love in paradise, the Caribbean. And I, what I think it is, these are my little brainsicles going is I think is that people have applied for the show and they got so many people to apply for it, but not everybody made the final cast because they give us too many couples. First of all, they give us seven couples and I'm like, give us five. I don't need any more. So they give us too many couples. And I think what they did is they had all this footage and they had these couples who were interesting. And then they found a theme and the theme was they're all basically from the Caribbean. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did like 90 day fiance Europe where like the American either goes to Europe or the European comes to the States. And so in this one, it was, but like a before the 90 days. So they, none of them are doing 90 day, the K1 visa, but it's them like starting the process. They've already decided that they love each other. And then they're now making a decision on what they're going to do. Either they're going to do the K1 V process, uh, K1 process visa, or they're, not going to do it and they're going to see about living with each other for a while or they're just you know they're not quite at the k1 yet yeah yeah (laughs) um but they do love each other and they have been talking for a while and so it was short it was only eight episodes it was only four couples and it was so lovely to watch 
It was Ooh. so lovely. Um, yeah. So I would say Alone is up there. Uh, 90 Day Fiance is another one. It's getting a little annoying though because of the, the drama that they have. And yeah. Love After Lockup, like with when they don't have someone who's obviously really far down the drug abuse path, it's a good show. It's where mm-hmm. it gets bad is when you have these cast members who, I mean, they've had two cast members pass away of drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like the show, you, it's like you can make fun of people, but when people are like really addicted or really addicts, then it's like, well, let's reel it back. This isn't fun anymore. This isn't fun. Yeah. 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 What do you think people are going to say about, we talked about the future of like, what do you think, what do you think people are going to say about like, reality tv and what what like how it's contributed to like maybe american culture and like just culture in general um i think a lot of people will still be in the be in the place where they watch it on the low and call it a guilty pleasure Mm. um and and i'm waiting for that to change because i'm like at this point it's it's, it is a full-on part of our society like (laughs) you can call it a guilty pleasure if you want to but you and like five million other people find it to be a guilty pleasure. So at this point, is it, you know, yeah. uh, you know, it's not this like secret. These, these people are making money online left and right. They have businesses, they're flourishing. The same thing with like the YouTube game. Like people are always talking about how like, oh, there was the decade of YouTube that was this and now it's no longer that. And like, what's happening with the YouTubers? I'm like, they're still there making money. <laughs> yeah. They may not, you know, may not have a, an idea or like a desire to break through to like mainstream, but like, what is mainstream anymore? I mean, I know what mainstream is, but I'm saying there's so many markets, you coming from New York city, me coming from LA, we now know that there is the mainstream isn't necessarily what it used to be. Yeah. Um, I, I think of like middle America as being mainstream, but I haven't been on that track since we had only seven channels, like <laughs> definitely like have been into the alternative or the, the outlier of like, I guess what, what the regular or, or what mainstream is. And so for me, I don't even worry about it. And I don't think that any reality person kind of can worry about it or anyone should worry about it anymore. Let's, let's now create a society where we're all like forging our own ways and making monies to take care of our family without having to do the cookie cutter thing, you know, mm-hmm. let's, keep it, yeah. let's keep it broad. And like, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. And I think like, when I think about it, I feel like, you know, there's so much, like just in terms of like how cables kind of getting pushed out, you know what I mean? And like now everything's on apps. And now I feel like there's more reality TV shows than like regular traditional, t- you know, I feel like there's like starting to be kind of like maybe an equal amount before it was like, there's a couple of reality TV shows and then there's like daytime TV and like all these series. And now I feel like they're kind of almost equal, you know what I mean? In terms of like, you know, shows that are like written and all that. And then like the reality shows, like it's almost like, there's a plethora of them. It's not just like a couple. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I was thinking, I was like, are there though? But you know what? I'm, I'm not thinking about the like great baking challenge or yeah. where you have like, Hot chef. like yeah. all those shows are considered reality TV. Yeah, shows. I'm not even about thinking that. About mm-hmm. Remember like yeah. Pimp My Ride? Like now there yeah. are so many different Pimp My Rides that aren't you know, West Coast, whatever the name of that company was. That <laughs> but like, um, there's so many car shows. There's so many cooking shows, baking shows. There's so many makeup shows now, like who can do the fastest and craziest. Tattoo like, shows now. There's tattoo shows. 
Yeah, there's a lot. So yeah, you're right. I do think that there are a lot of, um, a lot of reality. And I don't know if it's equal yet. Yeah, no, um, no. But I definitely do think that people are always looking for the next big hit because reality, while I do, I do think they do have big budgets, when you're using someone's house to film or you're using a business where all they want is you to talk about their business and to and like show the, have, sign. Like, show the <laughs> sign, yeah, then you can, that's relatively low overhead. Um, and so you don't have to like rent things out, you know, <laughs> yeah. to kind of like do your shows. Um, even though if I were on a reality show and they were filming mainly in my house, I'm like, you would get charged for filming in my house. I'm sorry. Unless we're going to do everything out in the backyard. And even then there's still a, like a finder's fee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also they don't pay. I mean, I think this is kind of, I think one of the problems with reality TV is like, they also don't really pay them that much. Like if you think about how much you have to pay an mm-hmm. actress or an actor to be in a series, you know, versus paying a regular person they really get away with, like you said, they get away with filming in people's houses. They get away with paying people a thousand dollars an episode. Like that's really unheard of for like a real actor or actress who's like out here and been trained and has, you know what I mean? So it is a very low budget. So I think that's why we're also kind of seeing these shows on the rise. Like they're entertaining, they're low budget and people really like them. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I, the housewives all get paid a different amount. I, I've heard some, um, I've heard like upwards to like, I think Candy, I heard, makes the most out of all the reality TV women. But I know it's because she's been negotiate. She negotiates, and she and she's been on there the longest. Oh, has she? Okay, yeah, she's the oldest like person. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, she's definitely had the opportunity to negotiate her price, and they can choose to keep her or not keep her. But I think she has the clout to be able to be accepted. I mean, but here's my thought: two hundred k for someone who just walked into a situation is still two hundred k. Yeah. And um, fight for your right to get more money. But if you don't get asked to come back, take that and still run with it. Yeah. Um, have a contingency plan if they say no, <laughs> because they don't have to say yes, because there's there's another housewife who's ready to go. She's begging them right now. <laughs> yeah, she's filming her own vlog. She's building up her own, you know, whatever. She's the friend of one person who's in there. Like, you know, I love it when there's a reality show and they always have their friend with them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. At this point, just cast the friend because like- I know. she's next, obviously. She's next. <laughs> yeah, she's next. Um, so yeah, I I feel bad that they don't make as much money, but at the same time, I'm like, nah. because I went to school for theater, like I'm like, that people who went to school for it and like studied for it and like did what they had to do, like they should get paid more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's so, way, so many ways you can leverage it with like sponsorships and your Instagram. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That's like, of course, like I don't want you to have pennies, but there's also so many ways that you can use it to- generate other streams of income yeah it really never had yeah that's what you should be doing is trying to figure out how you can start a business and get people to get onto your business and if you want to sell your personality forever you can but then try to get a spinoff negotiate Mm -hmm. a spinoff so um yeah i i just i wish the best for everybody in reality tv and i want everybody to make as much money as they possibly can yes i agree so I really love this interview. Before I ask you the last question, the signature question on this show, can you tell people where they can find you, how they can support you, whether it's on your reality TV channel or your motherhood channel? Like, and if you have anything good or like, you know, exclusive, like upcoming projects that you want people to know about, this is your time to let us know. 
Um, yeah, so you can find me on most social media platforms as at just call me wa. Um, that's all one word. The wa is spelled W A H. And you can find me at Wahimalino on YouTube. So if you just put in Wahimalino, both of them will pop up. Just call me Wa and Wahimalino. Um, and right now the content isn't super heavy on my Single Mother by Journey um, channel. I have filmed all the way up to post um, post surgery, but I haven't filmed a, like what I feel like after, like what I feel like now. Yeah. Um, and if you would like to donate to my baby fund to help me with um, either artificial insemination to start off with or in vitro fertilization IVF, if I need to do that, um, you can cash at me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you can find that information on my YouTube. I don't want necessarily want to say it here, but you can yeah. find it um, on my YouTube and any of uh, my Instagram or anything. Just call me Wa Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok. Yes, yes. And I love her YouTube channel, so you should definitely subscribe to her YouTube channel if you watch any reality TV. Even if you don't, there's some, like, I don't even watch 90 Day anymore, but I still will watch your channel, like, your commentary sometimes. It's just so entertaining. <laughs> um, so the last question of the show, our signature question is, if you had an opportunity to write a chapter in a textbook on the history of reality TV, what would you name that chapter and why? And maybe also what would you put in that chapter? I would name the chapter when the world changed. Ooh. And I think that I would really like to highlight the reality competition aspect of, of the show, because I do think that within the reality competition sh uh, genre, it has highlighted several subgenres or subcultures in the world. And RuPaul's Drag Race being one of them that I think to me is highly entertaining, but also very pivotal. Pivotal and it was something created by a black person, mm -hmm. a proud black person who has always in their artistry been a black person. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh. And um, I think that RuPaul Charles has change the way especially because you know for his community I think I never really paid attention to that because I was always just a black person to me and I'm into black people and so but how his contribution has changed so many different people's lives and it has now it is now international mm -hmm. I think that we have a better idea of what drag is and what that subculture is. And then you have something all the way to food and we have the Gordon Ramsay's and we've got the, the people on Chopped. And there are people now who are like, if you are good at this thing, there is a reality competition show that you should try out for so that you can be chosen or seen and get yourself out there in some way or form or fashion. And mm -hmm. I, even in the like home improvement, where they may not be competition with each other, which I think they are, but they're yeah. definitely competition within themselves and doing bigger and better projects each time. And like with the Magnolia Farms with Chip and Joanne Gaines, like the world has changed now and reality TV helped do that with showcasing talent and subculture within our society. Yeah. I, you said that perfectly. You know what I mean? I think that you are, I mean, that's pretty much what I have really kind of put together in my research, you know, like, I think we know that, but to be like, oh, like learning to see the text and being like, oh, there's the romance and there's the competition, there's the voyeurism. And you're like, oh, all these sub 
genres. I mean, they're showing these cultures and these people, and they're also creating a path for people. You know, I think that's what I feel like the last five to 10 years of the world have been like, is like entrepreneurship and creating your own path and how reality TV is a piece of that and like taking control of your career and what a career looks like. No, you don't have to go to culinary school. You could just be really, really good. You could start a Instagram, you could start a YouTube channel, you could get on the show and that can be your whole trajectory. And that's not really that outlandish now. You know what I mean? I think before it wasn't, but like that is a path, like these non-traditional world changing, right? Ways that involve reality TV. Yeah, I, I mean, especially with the idea of the American dream mm-hmm. and how for a while, for a long time, there was a path. There was a path you took and this was the path period. And you then worked really hard yeah. for 20 years at some yeah. desk. Yeah, <laughs> and then like, then the path sort of changed and there became the internet and the internet changed that. And then, you know, TV changed. And, you know, like even watching something simple as like Mad Men and when I watched Mad Men and I went from, understanding that there are advertisers who did newspaper and then TV came and they all had to like make a decision to like pay attention to TV, but they didn't want to at first. So Mm -hmm. it's like anytime there is like a culture shifting thing that happens and having a group of people who may not have been able to flourish with the way it was before, I think that reality TV TV in general, but reality TV has done that. YouTube has done that. YouTube is a, is a changing. And it, I mean, I don't want to add that to the reality TV genre, but to a certain extent, it is. the way these early vloggers used to vlog, YouTube was the channel or the byway in which if you wanted your own reality TV, you can just pick up a camera and you can upload it and you can put it on onto this platform. There are creators like Trisha Paytas who have been very popular and successful because they've picked up a camera and YouTube gave them the opportunity and they were able to take off. There are little children unwrapping gifts and toys right now, making more money than us. Yeah. <laughs> Really for them, you know, like I, I want, I want to live in a world, in a country, in a place where opportunity is around every corner, and all you have to do is kind of be out looking out for it. Mm-hmm. And fi- exactly, looking out for it, taking chances, and figuring out what what makes you tick that you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, wow, this is like the perfect conversation for this episode about reality TV, and I'm also just like so happy that I met you and like this world because I just like I love your channel as and I, I you know I love your commentary it's, it's, it's so entertaining so I'm gonna make sure I go to your live today what time are you doing it <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know yet I'm gonna probably gonna do that 12 now it's one okay yeah okay yeah. all right well well thank you so much for your time um I'm so excited for everyone to hear this episode and have a great day thank you so much for having me you have a fantastic day Wow, what a great interview with Wa. I really enjoyed that conversation so, so much. And that is the conclusion of this season three, episode five on the history of reality TV. I personally was so surprised to learn there were eight or seven, seven, I think it's seven subgenres of reality TV. Like I never really thought competition shows like Top Chef was reality TV, but it makes total sense. I also never knew that the first reality TV series came out in the 70s, 1978 to be exact, with The Louds, The Louds, The American Family Show. So the Kardashians need to thank The Louds, okay? Before the Kardashians, there were The Louds. I would love to learn what you learned from this episode. So wherever you are or wherever you 
wherever you follow me on the interwebs, let me know. Let me know what you think about this episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and into this third season. Make sure you subscribe, share the podcast on social media and send it to a friend. Somebody else wants to know about reality TV history. Trust me, trust me, it's good. And don't forget to come back next Friday, December 10th for a brand new juicy history topic. And until next time, remember, knowledge is power.